Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, you hear stories about it. Someone uses his or her last will and testament to make some point from beyond the grave. One last act that no one can counter, challenge, or undo. The the rich man whose family viewed him as nothing more than a source of funding for extravagant living gives his entire fortune to charity, making a statement about their greed and waste in death that he would never make in life. The old woman, confined for years to a nursing home, pointedly excludes from her will the children and grandchildren who never came to visit. Or the man without a lot of money, but a lot of stuff, who lists it all in his will with comments like, To my neighbor Ed, I leave all my power tools, since it's likely he borrowed them and never returned them all anyway. I suppose some people think that that kind of score settling is what a last will and testament is for, and sometimes we might see some sort of justice or even humor in it. But what we really applaud are stories like like the man who, who leaves money for the poor neighbor kid to go to college, or who makes sure that his sister, who's a single mother, has enough money to be able to keep a roof over her head with what he leaves her. Or the grandmother who leaves her her prized recipe book or her sewing materials or a collection of music to a granddaughter, not only so that tradition and memories are carried on to a new generation, but also because, well, they won't be able to enjoy them together anymore. One of the words that we often overlook from when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper is testament. But that word is not some theological jargon. It's the same word that we use when we talk about a last will and testament. Jesus was telling his disciples and us, this is what I am giving you for when I am no longer with you. And what motivated him was not any kind of desire to to point out their shortcomings or to make a big statement about how they had failed him. No, this new testament from the Lord was all about leaving for them and for all future disciples exactly what they would need most when they no longer had him physically present. This was his heart meeting their hearts and ours. And as usual, his disciples that Thursday evening had little understanding of what it was they really needed, though the next 24 hours would make many things more clear and burden their hearts in ways that they had never experienced or even imagined before. When they sat down to supper that night to celebrate the Passover, they were well aware that something was up, because Jesus had been saying things that were incomprehensible to them, like, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified, 
and it was clear that his enemies among the chief priests and elders were ramping up their opposition. So we might say that there was a certain nervousness accompanying the unleavened bread, lamb, wine, and spices of that meal. It would only have increased once Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What did he mean by suffer? And what did he mean by, I will not eat it again? The more optimistic among them might have thought it meant that in the next year, he would finally make his move and and take his rightful place as Messiah and King of the Jews. But most of them probably read the mood of the evening differently especially since their rabbi and friend had just told them solemnly and surely that one of them would betray him. But Judas's betrayal a few hours later was, was not the only thing that Jesus had foreseen. He also knew that once, his, once he was arrested, all of his disciples would flee in fear and then have to deal with their shame at having allowed themselves to be scattered that way. He knew that Peter, so confident and certain in his confession there that evening, would abandon it all when confronted in the high priest's courtyard and would then weep bitterly over his weakness. Even more, Jesus knew what the next few days would mean for his followers for all who had put their hope in him. Everything that they had counted on would be shaken. Their whole world would be turned upside down. The same Jesus that they looked to as Christ and Son of God would be crucified and laid dead and drained in a cold stone tomb. Those who mocked him went unrebuked. Those who sought his death reveled in their success. And Jesus was not just a public figure that they followed. He was their friend and constant companion of many years. They would grieve him, miss him, mourn him, and ask hard and horrifying questions about how this could have happened to such a good and innocent man. All the certainty that they would have had the week before would be shattered with his suffering and death. Of course, Jesus also knew, though that subtracted nothing from his suffering, he also knew that he would rise to life again on the third day and that his disciples would see him that day and and others afterward. Yet his presence with them then would not be permanent. He would soon return to heaven and leave them behind. And so the Lord's gift of his supper was intended also for all the uncertain days that his followers would face after his ascension. Days that would be filled with opposition like the opposition he faced from the same leaders who arranged his death. Filled with threats and imprisonments, stonings, executions. And then exiles and more mockery and temptations and false teachings and more. Whether the members of his church then had walked with him through Galilee and Judea or not, they would all long 
for his presence. Have, to have him there, to, to encourage them, to, to strengthen them, to assure them that they were on the right path and to say, I forgive you when they failed at living as his disciples. We long for and need exactly the same things in our lives. Nothing has really changed in the life of a believer since Jesus ascended into heaven. We still face opposition from Satan, from the unbelieving world, and from our own sinful natures. We still are tempted, and we still, far too often, give in to temptation and sin. We still struggle with bad days, broken hearts, terrors in the night, injuries, disease, pain, emotional ups and downs, mental exhaustion, difficult people, hard jobs, and so much more. And no matter matter how long we have been Christians, no matter how much time we have spent in church or reading our Bibles or on our knees in prayer, all of these things, challenges and guilt and problems and pain, it all can make us uncertain. Our faith can be shaken, even if not actually shattered. And this is why our Lord Jesus Christ on a night when he had many other things rightly weighing on his mind, took the time to give us a gift of immeasurable value. He gave us himself in the bread and the wine, his body and blood given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, the same body and blood given and shed on the cross for our salvation. He saw uncertainty in his disciples' hearts then and now, and he met it with loving assurance from deep in his heart. Assurance that he would come to his church and to every believer and be with them at the table and give them exactly what they need. For you, when you are feeling forsaken, or lonely, the supper reaches your heart. Christ is present, not just on the altar, but in the bread you eat and the wine that you drink. He has not forgotten you. He comes to you, and you enjoy fellowship with Him and with your fellow believers. For you when you have once again piled sinful choice on top of sinful choice, or weakness has led you where you promised you would never go again, or you have simply become aware once more of just how thoroughly you have failed to live the life God has set out for you in His Word, and you wonder how God could ever accept, let alone love you, Jesus gives His assurance with his body and blood. Your sins are all forgiven because they have all been paid for in full with the precious life of the Son of God, our Savior. God loves you that much. And for you, when life is hard and believing is difficult, or your world has been turned upside down, Christ's supper offers strength. 
not just a reminder of what Jesus went through for you, but the actual gospel that conveys God's grace straight to your needy heart so that you may stand firm in your faith. There are as many ways that this precious supper gives assurance as there are ways that we might experience uncertainty. Jesus knew what he was doing, just as he knew what was going to happen. His heart was full of so much with what lay ahead, but it was still full of unlimited, unconditioned love for his disciples, sinners all, who would have to face life without his presence until that day, until that day that he too looked forward to, when we all join him for that great and glorious feast in his heavenly kingdom to come. And in the meantime, he is with us, body and blood, whenever we need him, just as we need him, loving us as we need to be loved. His heart to our hearts, meeting our uncertainty with his assurance. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.